Hello and welcome to episode 354 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. This will air on Monday, June 13th, 2022. The next registration deadline is Thursday, June 30th. That's for the August 2022 LSAT. You can also find future dates at LSAT.link forward slash dates. Again, that's LSAT.link forward slash dates. If you have not attended Nathan's free shit, you should start coming. Every other Thursday, Nathan has a new class on a new topic that he thinks is most exciting to him at the moment. The upcoming class is on Thursday, June 16th, and it's called The Purpose of Making Worlds. So if you at all have struggled with logic games, you should come to this class and understand what we're talking about when we're talking about worlds. It's... um. 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can register for it at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. Um, anything you want to say about that class? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. Uh, I love teaching about making worlds. Making worlds is like the way to do LSAT logic games. We It, it is the way of unlocking a game so that you answer all of the questions with certainty. Sometimes you spend four minutes making worlds and then you answer all the questions in 45 seconds. I mean, it's just like if you suck at the logic games, which most people do, you you need to get better at making worlds. And I think that by making it clear what the purpose is of making worlds, why do we do this? What is the mm-hmm. point of it? What are we doing when we make worlds? Um, and And by the way, I'll just tell you the answer. The purpose of making worlds is to simplify the game by eliminating rules but uh, i'll talk about that at length on thursday june 16th you can register now uh, at lsatdemon.com or lsat.link forward slash nathan yep all you need is a lsat demon free account so if you don't have an account you can do that when you sign up uh how long is the class uh well it's scheduled for an hour actually it'll be no more than an hour because i have my normal thursday night class right on the heels of that. So that will be a one hour class. Okay. You know, sometimes we get people who are in the free, uh, demon free plan or they're in, um, basic or premium and they ask, Hey, what's it like to attend a live class? Well, here's an example of a live class that you can come. It's in zoom. Nathan, you'll be teaching it. Will Abigail be Abigail, but will be there. I think Jen will probably be there too. help sharing helpful resources and, having background conversations in the zoom chat. If you want to ask um, our team questions while I'm teaching, you can, you can also interact with, um, you know, paying subscribers and tons and tons of free students who will be there. Those are always like really vibrant, really active. I think that they're a great example of what LSAT demon live has to offer, Uh, but it's absolutely free. So hopefully you will come and join. Yeah. Today on the show, we had a mailbag of um, emails that we went over. The one I want to focus on is the one from Cassandra. In it, she said at one point, I felt like I was having to think about things I had previously done subconsciously. And that led into a whole discussion about what I think and you think, Nathan, separates us from pretty much all the other prep programs out there that we know of. Obviously, we don't know them all. But we want you to understand this test intuitively, subconsciously. It's got to click. 
it's going to be doing a lot of work in a way that makes sense versus a very analytical um, jargon theory heavy approach that seems to predominate the industry. I just think it's kind of the norm. And as you mentioned, while we were talking about that email, you started out teaching and I started out teaching by doing so much of that because that's what we had been taught and exposed to. It's tragic because, you know, it's like we used to think that uh, the way we taught, right, the way we were taught to teach Mm -hmm. by, you know, by other LSAT prep, we used to think that like 10 points of improvement was good. Mm -hmm. Now we don't think 10 points of improvement is good. Now we think people should improve by 15 points or 20 points. We're not surprised at all when people improve by that much. We also jumped into contrapositives and. We did all that definitions of everything theoretical bullshit and oh shocker, you know, and it it, it's really sad because it takes some of the most promising students and then it burdens them with all of this theory. Yeah, it's like gumming up the gears. You know, they were operating totally smoothly until some bullshit LSAT teacher got in your ear, (laughs) and and now you're like barely chugging along trying to you know like got all this heavy theory stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, our, our plan now is to get you to intuitively actually understand the test. And One if you question can do that, <laughs> yeah. And the sky's the limit. If you can do that. Yep. Cool. Um, we are looking for teachers. Uh, if you are interested in working for the demon and by the way, I think everyone who has worked here has enjoyed it. <laughs> if not, sure, if not so. everyone, almost everyone, they see, at least they say that to us. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Therefore it's obviously true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's some, some potential problems, I guess, with that, that analysis, but, um, I enjoy working with everybody who's here. It's, it's awesome to work with killers, right. Who, who know the test, who know what they're doing, who are going on to law school for free or going on to the best schools in the world. And um, if you want to join that group and work with us, email Nathan at LSATDemon.com. Just have to have a 170 plus and a solid understanding of where we stand on all these issues. Yeah, if you're a listener, regular listener of one or both podcasts, if you're a demon student, and you crushed the LSAT doing it our way and you want to help spread the gospel of the demon. (laughs) Really? No, I mean, that's what we're looking for. I I want, I want true believers. I'm not, I'm not looking for just like some random person with a high LSAT. Who's like, I'm looking for a job as an LSAT teacher. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to somebody who knows what we're about and wants to do it our way. Yep. Onto the show. Let's do it. All right, we have a pearls versus turds. It looks like this one came in through the website. It's from first name anonymous, last name A. Anonymous I guess those A. Are requ- <laughs> required okay. fields, apparently. The message says, hey, Ben and Nathan, I found a bit of advice. Advice is in air quotes from LSAT Unplugged. And then they got this uh, YouTube link that would, I thought would fit quite well as a pearl versus turd submission. Write your own logic games including the questions and answer choices. Hmm. Okay. So it sounds like this person (laughs) already expects us to shoot this one down. What do you think? Uh, Turd. (laughs) I mean, just, you know, if I, 
to to me that's kind of like nothing it's like that's a piece of lsat content yeah that doesn't do anything it's like well probably wouldn't hurt you but also yeah. it wouldn't help you and because i mean my my thought is we have 400 actual lsat logic games that we could practice with so surely this is of no value to someone who has not already mastered those 400 actual games if you haven't mastered the logic games already, then you can't even do this. Like this is an assignment that will not you can't you don't know how to do it. Like, Ben, if I asked you, if I said, OK, I want you to write a perfect LSAT logic game like you could you could do it. You could make one that on the surface looked pretty good. In like what, a half hour? Yeah, I don't know. It depends on how much you use. um how you how much you mirror another game although it's interesting i have experience with this because my lsat teacher when i was taking the test suggested to our class that we do this and i ended up doing it i created two logic games i don't know anything about them i don't i don't know if they were actually accurate or not but i do remember feeling like i learned something about what the questions were actually asking um, I'm not saying this is a pearl. I agree with you that it's a turd. I think it falls into this category of something that you kind of just mentioned. It, it doesn't hurt you, but if it helps you, it only helps a little bit. I mean, I, I felt like it helped me at the time. I don't know if it actually did, but you have to ask yourself, okay, how much, <laughs> how much are you going to get out of this? And how much are you going to get out of doing another game? Right. And how much time is this going to take? And, and so on. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a turd pretty strongly because, you know. When you do all of the logic games, you encounter some stuff where you're like, whoa, that's an LSAT logic game. Yeah. Weird. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting that. And if you make your own logic games, yeah, you're going to be like regurgitating a sequencing game or regurgitating a, some sort of a grouping game, you're not going to be thinking outside the box and coming up with something totally new. But the LSAT logic games have thought outside the box and have come up with quite a few weird little wrinkles. And I, I just I'm, I'm worried about the waste of time that this would entail. I'm worried that you would think you've got it right. Like you. Oh, wow. You can come up with your own sequencing game yeah wow <laughs> good for you okay um but can you solve the work pieces game can you solve the switches game can you solve the uh colored balls in the boxes stacked up game can you solve the colored glass windows game can you solve you know like just there's 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 too much work to be done there's too much actual work to be done and so that's why this to me strikes me as just gimmicky bullshit where it's like, well, here, let me give you this fun little exercise that you can do <laughs> rather than do the actual work that needs to be done. It's, it, you know, it's like reading anything other than LSAT reading comprehension passages. Oh, get, get yourself some heavy reading to do. I find that to be a real like, I, it's like patronizing to me. It's like it's like a kind of a condescending sort of a thing to say. 
oh, well, oh, you're not good enough at the reading comprehension. Oh, well, maybe you need to read some really dense material. Okay. Or you could practice the 400 reading comprehension passages that we have to work on. <laughs> you know, which like if that's exact, if that's actually what you're struggling with, then maybe you should do what you're actually struggling with. Yeah, I mean, on some level, here's an analogy, right? If you're struggling with reading comprehension, then write a reading comprehension passage and questions <laughs> and answer right. choices. Like right. that seems like a nightmare. I mean, even just writing in general, is 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 writing gonna make you a better reader? Uh, I don't think so because you're probably not gonna write or you shouldn't write like the, the way the LSAT writes, right? The LSAT writes these long ass sentences that you have to learn how to unpack and digest and restate in your own words. I mean, so I did this and I, I remember thinking like, oh, okay. So I think my realization was, and this is, we've, we've said this a million times on the show, but the rules in the game will step-by-step step lead to the correct answer, right? Like, like I know that's an obvious realization, but it, it, it really hit home to me that the correct answer is just a logical extension of the rules, right? It's, it's what must be true given what was said in the setup. And I mean, that's a good realization, but I think you can just hear us say that and also practice <laughs> yeah. the games. There's other so. ways to learn that lesson, including hearing my voice right now tell you that's how the shit works. Like there's the rules indicate the one correct answer for every question. I mean, that's like that's almost the definition of an LSAT logic game. Like you, you, they can do all kinds of weird shit. But the one thing that they always have in common is that all the rules, I mean, the, the sorry, all the questions are perfectly answerable from the rules that there's just one objectively correct answer. There are four objectively wrong answers. There's no negotiation. There's no like weighing and balancing and evaluating. And one answer is a little bit better. Oh, that's just a better fit. No, no, no. One is correct. Four are incorrect because the rules just tell you so. If you read it, if you understand it, there is only one answer that you can possibly pick. I don't know. I think the best way to learn that is to trust us that that is true. And then get to fucking work and do an actual LSAT logic game. Yep. So that puts this uh, <laughs> scoreboard at 17 pearls, 62 turns. No, I already updated it. 61. You already updated it. Um, all right. 61 turns, 24 ties. If you have a, a lot pearl of bad advice dude, out there, man, a lot of bad advice. Just be careful. Yeah. And if you have something that you're not sure about, is it a pearl or is it a turd? Email help at LSAT. Sorry. Help at thinking LSAT.com. Or find us on social at, LSAT, at thinking LSAT. Man, all I want to do is say LSAT demon. What's wrong with me? You okay. got LSAT demon brain. Yeah. We have another email here from Cassandra. You got it? Yeah. Says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I hope this finds you well. After months of thinking about what I am good at and what I want to do, I have decided I want to go to law school. <laughs> Sorry. I... It, that gave me pause. That's all. That gave me pause, too, because lots and lots of thinking don't necessarily make it so. Well, 
you know, let's like maybe let's stop there because I'm not I, I, I am not I do not intend this to mock in the slightest. I it just makes me fucking scared. Like I am really worried for people going to law school because I I think that they really frequently don't know what they're getting themselves into. You know, if you think about what Cassandra is saying here, she says. She's thought about it. She's good at it, and this is what she wants to do. Law school. Okay, so what does that mean, Ben? Before we read any more, what does that mean about Cassandra? If she's actually good at this, what does it mean? She's going to be good at the LSAT. She's going to be good at getting a high GPA. She's going to be good at a lot of things that other there are other ways of determining whether she's good at this. Well, yeah, law school and legal practice is is it's for people who are good at school. For yeah. one thing, like, you know, yeah. I, I if you say you're good at this, I'm like, what's your GPA? Yep. because, you know, <laughs> did you document the ability to get A's in undergrad? Because because law school is going to be way harder than than undergrad was, unless you were like a science major of some sort. You know, law school is going to be it's <laughs> it's all the people that you went to school with who got nothing but A's like the people who got B's and C's don't make it to law school now. So you're you're competing against a much higher level of people who are good at school and want to do school and like school. Like, are you a good student? Do you just love learning? Do you love going to class? Do you love sitting in the front row? Do you love kissing ass to your teacher? Do you love doing 115% of everything they ask you to do? Do you turn in your work early? Are you hyper prepared for your exams? Do you go take an exam, then go home and like pull your hair out for two weeks while you wait for the results because you think you crashed and burned, then get it back and it's yet another A? That's people who are like, <laughs> who are going to be good at law school. The people who are like obsessive about school, that's the people who are going to be good at law school. Yeah. I mean, lawyers are highly paid professional researchers and writers. That's what they do. They're yeah. academics no. at their core. <laughs> ben, I just met with with this guy. I told you, you know, you introduced me to this lunch club thing. Yep. And one of my my very first lunch club meeting was with a litigator in New York City. And we weren't even talking about the LSAT and he just said, yeah, I feel like I'm a professional student. That's what he said. That's how he described his job. I'm a professional student. This guy's a litigator in New York City and he described his job as professional student. I, I actually heard the same description from my litigator friend. He was at Sidley Austin, which does a lot of uh, Supreme Court cases, I think. But anyways, he was saying... I was asking him one day, I said, Hey, how you doing? He said, well, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little worn out. I'm a little drained. And I was like, okay, yeah. Why? You know, long hours, whatever. And he's like, well, actually what it is, is every time I get a new case, I feel like I'm learning a whole new like area of the law. It's like a whole, and the technicalities of that particular case, you're going into some dispute over some technical issue. It's like you have to understand the science behind it. You have to understand yeah. the case law that's relevant to that area of law. He said every time he takes on a new case, he feels like he's... There are obviously skill sets that he's using over and over and over again, the litigation aspect of it. But the knowledge aspect of it, he's got to 
He's got to learn it. Otherwise yeah. you are, you can't play. You can't compete in that realm. What are you going to be like? Well, I don't really understand the science behind it, but your honor, I think, no, you have to be the expert in the room. And there's a, there's an LSAT lesson here too, because people talk about, you know, people are like, well, what is this bullshit LSAT? I mean, this isn't anything like what lawyers do. I mean, you're having me read a reading comprehension passage that's about science. And then you're having me read a reading comprehension passage that's about poetry. Like, why yeah. are you having me read about all of these arcane topics? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, if you talk to an actual fucking lawyer, they would tell you that their job is to read and understand weird shit. Like, that's just what they do. That's their yeah. job. They are professional students. You're not meant to understand anything about the science before you read it. <laughs> You're meant to understand something about the science after you fucking read it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because they're testing your reading comprehension. No, they're not testing your <laughs> pre. <laughs> they don't. Do you need to know? You're not supposed to know something notes. about lycanometry. No, you're yeah. supposed to learn about lycanometry via the passage. So it's like, I don't know. I, I just find it really, it's like such a red flag when people are like, well, but I'm not, I mean, I don't care about this topic and I don't, I don't know anything about that topic. And what is this? This is just LSAT stuff. No, yeah. no. The reason why it's LSAT stuff is because that's lawyer stuff. Yep. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're not going to pick your clients. You're not going to pick your cases. You're not going to, you're not going to choose what documents come into your legal matter. Yeah. You're, you're going to be sitting there with 10 file boxes full of this shit. And your job is to read it and comprehend it. Mm -hmm. We can bring this back to Cassandra's actual email, but like, you know, she she so she's she's decided that she's good at this and and it is that it is what she wants to do. Uh, my biggest red flag here is the use of the word thinking. She's been she's been thinking about it and it's like <laughs> what you're what you're saying and what I what I agree with is okay, let's stop let's stop thinking about it and let's start looking at what you're good at, what how you did in school, how you've done on the LSAT. And then she says I want to do it. It's what I want to do. Okay. Well, how do you know what you want to do until you talk to people who do it or, you know, read books about people who have done it or maybe even tried to experience it on some level <laughs> it, it, thinking about it? I don't know. That, yeah, that doesn't inform you. That just takes information you already have and regurgitate it in your mind. Yeah, I agree. You know, get it, we and who knows what kind what who knows what she meant by thinking? Yeah, we're giving we're beating her up for this, but it it. it it's not uncommon. I mean, it's right. super common for me, you, everyone to be like, okay, let me think about this and just chew on the information we have as opposed to going out and getting information that would actually make a huge difference once you learn it. Yeah. Okay. So if this is a good fit, like if I'm going to believe that this is a good fit, it's certainly not about what she's thought about and what she wants to do. Right. It's nope. about like, okay, if it's actually a good fit for her, then she's a she she wants to be a professional student yeah like she wants to be a kick-ass student first okay so let's see if that's what she's telling us here with the rest of her email okay i'm a recent grad taking a gap year or two to work i have listened to quite a few of your podcast episodes and find useful the advice you give in response to the emails you receive and would like some personal advice as well 
I want to keep it simple. So here's what my situation looks like. I took a diagnostic test in early May and got a 157. Right away, I go, ooh. 157. That's a solid diagnostic. <laughs> yep. Like, I, I look at that and I go, that's great. If you had said 147, I would still be like, cool, we can work with that. If you had said 137, I start to go, hmm, okay. Like, you, you got some work to do to, not impossible, to prove but yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's, boy, we got to get to work today. And if you had said 127, I'd be like, boy, are, are you, I mean, really? Like, are you sure that this is, you got to be damn sure that this is what you want to do. Yeah. 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 Um, my best section. So 157 is like, whoa, holy shit. Like, not that's, high. that's pretty yeah. rare that people start that high. My best section was logic games, hmm. followed by reading comp, then logical reasoning. After that's a little bit of a weird profile for somebody who starts that high. We would normally see them starting highest in reading comp and worst in games. Middle logical reasoning and yeah, logic games would be worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so LR is actually her worst, which is seems kind of strange. After hearing advice from a friend, I signed up for Seven Sage for a month. I felt like I was having to think about things I had previously done subconsciously. That sounds like Kaplan. That's not surprising for so many of these programs, even yeah. like PowerScore and whatever. They just they make explicit a bunch of things that become a distraction. That's what I always thought as a PowerScore teacher when I first started, you know, 15 years ago as a PowerScore teacher. I was like, hey, you got like, oh, you did well on the diagnostic. Don't listen to anything I'm about to say, because like this shit's going to hurt you. It's going to mm -hmm. just it's going to muddy up your thinking. You understand yeah. this. This is just common sense. Yeah. Now they're going to like overly formalize it. it. You know, we don't even do it right at the demon anymore. Yeah. Like when I see people diagramming rules in logic games, like conditional arrows and contrapositives and stuff, I'm like, hey, 12 year olds understand the contrapositive. It's just common sense. It's just another way of saying the same thing. What are you doing? <laughs> like you're confusing yourself with all this bullshit. And I think that's what happened here to Cassandra. You're using a different part of your brain. So mm. when you're doing things intuitively, you're understanding them <laughs> intuitively. And it means that the the analogy I heard, which I got from, you know, that book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow or whatever Thinking it is. Fast and Slow, Danny Kahneman. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. So in that book, I, I'm pretty sure it was that book. He said, when you're doing something subconsciously, the light is off. So you're unaware mm. of what you're doing, but you are doing it. When you, when you start focusing on all these, these rules and these procedures, well, you actually bring this whole process to a different part of your brain where the light is on. And that's comforting because you can see what's happening. But at the same time, it's extraordinarily, I would say excruci excruciatingly slow mm -hmm. because it's an analytical process that a lot of times people can get tripped up on. And that's why they make counterintuitive yeah. mistakes and Absolutely. you're like that doesn't make any sense but what you just said and they're like yeah but but the but if l the contrapositive n, blah blah yeah. blah and it's like shut up about the contrapositive yeah. already yeah that's you know we used to both teach like first night of class i'm gonna mm -hmm. teach you about the contrapositive because that's what i thought an lsat teacher did yep now i don't think that's what a good lsat teacher actually does i i i don't do that anymore i mean because hey look if you're in Manhattan, you're in New York City, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not in New York City, 
you can't be in Manhattan, right? I mean, a fucking 12-year-old could understand that. It's two different ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. Are you focusing on what is being said? That's the intuitive approach. Or are you trying to like deconstruct it into some abstract concept? That's yeah. the analytical. As soon as you start writing that down. Yeah. Slow. And approach. doing the diagramming. The next thing you know, I see people I see. We see it in logic games all the time. But next thing you know, I see people going, oh, you're not in, in, in Manhattan. OK, so well, then, then you must not be you're in, not New in New York. York. City. <laughs> 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 it's like, because huh? I got like a third grader over here that's going to tell you you're dumb. Yeah. I've got a third grader that's about to name the other four boroughs and just tell you other places that you could be. And what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and um, so anyway, that oh, here, sounds here's, like what happened to Cassandra. Here's another analogy just to try to hit this home for anybody who's still skeptical. And this is from a different book, but uh, a lot of these books kind of overlap on some level. But the analogy is that the fast part of your brain, and this is maybe a poor analogy, but is like an elephant and the analytical part of your brain is like the writer. So the elephant really controls and has the power, the, <laughs> the horsepower to do a lot of work super fast and clearly. It's in the dark, so you don't see what's going on, but you understand. That's why things click and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And they click fast. But the writer is this small little thing trying to control the elephant that really can only kind of somewhat control it and doesn't have the horsepower to do things quickly. That's why the book is called Thinking Fast and Slow or Thinking Slow and Fast, whatever. Thinking Fast and Slow. Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's like when you use the intuitive approach, you're using the part of your brain that thinks fast because it's actually huge. Mm -hmm. The part of your brain where the lights are off is much bigger and stronger. I would say that more than anything, that's the difference in what we difference between what we do and what other LSAT prep does. Yeah, we we are training you to do this the intuitive way to let go and trust. Well, we want you to actually understand it. Yeah. And actually understand it is in the dark, not in yep. the light. Yep. We want you to do it without all this conscious, like formal mumbo jumbo on top of it we yeah. want to convince you that the test is actually easy you actually can understand it you have to read it carefully you have to take your time with it but then it's just gonna like open up to you i don't know how to describe it it's just like it connects and it just makes sense and yeah. the more i see you writing notes and writing diagrams and stuff i'm just like I don't think that's actually helping you because you're either going to make mistakes in your drawing. You're going to make mistakes. I mean, not, not to say that you don't like draw a picture to solve the logic games sometimes, but like on logical reasoning and on reading comprehension, the more you write, I feel like the less you understand it. Yeah. I, you, well, I, you're, <laughs> and you're shutting down that part of your brain that could intuitively catch it and say, wait a sec, that doesn't make sense. But you're not that part of your brain is literally right. shut down because now you're just fully. Yeah. Letting go and trusting this other process. Another example is the wrong answer journal. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't write, don't write notes in a wrong answer journal. Understand it today. Let's get there. I want you to get there. Keep I asking you questions and tell it like, oh, the click. Oh, I want to yeah. see. I've like, I'm addicted to it. You know, seeing the the eyes widen, like the the, yeah. the students like. Uh huh. What? 
That's all there yeah. is to it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's all there is to it. I told you, you know, you're like you're when you're writing stuff down, it's like, well, I don't understand this. So I'm going to put it in a wrong answer journal. So, and it's like all this convoluted notes that you don't really understand. Mm-hmm. No, no. I want you to do it one time. I want you to feel it one time. So stay with me, like talk to me and we can we can get you there. Yeah. To where you're actually going to understand it. <laughs> and and it is a place to, to again, we got to get back to Cassandra's email. It's my bad. But um, Cassandra is having that experience of being unusually, you know, like probably boy diagnostic. That's like a 90th percentile diagnostic to start with mm-hmm. a 157. Right. Yeah. You're in the top 10 percent already. That, yeah. On your diagnostic. That's like, whoa. Wait, oh, actually, no, I don't know if that's true. And it's not top 10% of people taking the official test, but in oh, the diagnostic, yeah, 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 yeah. it is a yeah, top yeah. 10. I would say top 10% diagnostic. Yeah. Just guessing. Okay. Sure, absolutely. And <laughs> and then they like weighed her down yeah. with a bunch of formal theoretical stuff, which yeah. is really, that's a tragedy. That's like the opposite of what we try to do. Like, that's why... I don't want you to go to lessons first. I want you to just do a test. I want you to do a section. I want you to do a question. Yep. I want you to come to class. I want you to tackle real LSAT material. I don't want you to be reading a book about formal theory and like, well, the necessary assumption question is a blah, blah. No, no. Answer. Just try to answer some questions. Mm -hmm. Because you can actually get worse. And I think that's what happened to Cassandra. I started to think about things I had previously done subconsciously. Seven Sages curriculum puts LR first and a ton of it at that. So even after two weeks, I hadn't touched another section. Two whole weeks, Ben, of just doing logical reasoning. Curriculum. Yeah, curriculum. I know it's I. Yeah, we. That's just not the way we do it. And our our results (laughs) speak for themselves. But we. We just like don't even really have a curriculum because we have a hundred practice tests to work with. The test will tell you what you suck at. Just do the test. Anyway, finally, I did a practice test and my score went down to a 151. That's when I found your podcast, decided to drop much of the theory that Seven Sage had taught and go with whatever strategy I used for my diagnostic. My score increased to a 159. Okay, well, these are small numbers. So exactly. It's hard to know, <laughs> hard to know. <laughs> we, what caused what, but we have we to appreciate. acknowledge that these are limited data points. Yeah. Yeah. But in combination with our experience with lots and lots of other people, yeah. this is a very reasonable explanation even though we have no idea what actually happened. Yep. I know your advice is to take as long as I need before taking an official LSAT, and I plan to do just that. Okay, good. However, I am hoping to take the September LSAT. (laughs) Parentheses. But if my practice tests aren't where I want them to be, I will, of course, push that back. (laughs) Okay, good. She's like, I'm listening to you, but I really want to take the September test, (laughs) but I'm listening to you. That's fine. I think, I mean, September's yeah. it's a ways away and she's got a high diagnostic. I, yeah. I don't think it's an unreasonable aspiration at all. Subscribing to the demon is a very attractive opportunity. So I have some questions if you don't mind. One, in smart drilling, does it take questions from official LSATs? 
I ask because if I want to regularly take practice tests, I would not want to come across a game I have already done. Almost feels like cheating. Ben, would you like to explain how the demon makes it so that you don't even have to think about that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the demon, if you have premium or live, you have access to all 98 tests that are available, official tests. So yeah, when you're doing drilling, you're doing questions from official LSATs, but we've preemptively allocated each test to drilling, timed sections, practice tests, and even experimental sections so that whenever you're doing any one of those things, you're not going to be taking tests that you've previously drilled. Now you can customize those settings however you want and you could have them overlap, but if you just follow our default settings, which 99% of our users do, you will never overlap drilling and practice tests. And they are all real official LSAT questions, 100%. Absolutely. We would never... Except for the two I wrote a long time ago. And <laughs> See if you can spot which games <laughs> were invented by Ben Olsen. No, um, <laughs> they... <laughs> that makes me want to write one where it's like it's got some like horrifying like you know kindergartners marching into the edge of the volcano or something like that and just see if you could spot which one was written by nathan um you know i did a question last night official outside question and it was it, it kept going over pornography i was like wow okay outside <laughs> like like can we just say this word one more time <laughs> Pornography? Yeah. Sure. All right. So we sorted her out on question number one. Number two, yep. is the only difference between the lessons offered with premium and the live classes with live? This is a problem with our nomenclature, Ben. People yeah. never understand the difference between lesson and class. Yeah. So she wants to know the difference between the lessons in premium and the live classes with live. Is the only difference the fact that one is an archive and the other is live? In other words, are the lessons from premium merely recorded videos from the live daily videos? No. Um, lessons are are our attempt at theory. <laughs> it's it's they are specifically giving you advice on say different question types such as necessary assumption and we've written these with the experienced student in mind so you go you do a bunch of practice questions either in drilling or in practice sections or in time tests and then you come across a necessary assumption question and you try to understand it and you realize, you know what, there's something I'm not quite getting here. You can read a little bit more about it in a necessary assumption lesson, which is not a live class that was presented to a bunch of students in Zoom. It's literally just written text on a page, sometimes videos, and we're explaining what necessary assumption questions are. Those lessons are way more valuable to experienced students than to newbies. Because experienced students, it can help them get that click too, where you actually intuitively understand what they're essentially asking in those different types of questions. They're amazing resources when you need extra help in a particular area. Abigail, you know, TAs for all my live classes and Abigail is always posting links to stuff at, yeah. in the chat. She does it for your class as well. And yep. It's super it's super helpful when somebody's like unless I don't understand this they used unless in this rule and I don't get it and Abigail will post a lesson on here's what unless means. Yeah. 
And it's but boy, if you started with that. Oh, you'd just be bogged down. It's it's like you 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 you're scanning the terrain, as you just said, you the LSAT will tell you what you suck at, and there seems to be something that you you are still not crystal clear about. It doesn't make sense intuitively. So then you go to a lesson and check it out. But the bottom line here, Cassandra, is this is not a previously recorded lesson or video a class. It's not a class from Zoom that we did before, and now you're just watching the recording of it. It's it's a written lesson that often has video content incorporated into it, and sometimes even quizzes. But the lessons, the sorry, the classes that we do in Zoom are live, and then they are archived, and the only people that can access those previously recorded classes are live students. Great. Number three, and I think I can answer this one, says, is application slash admissions help offered with any subscription or is the demon purely an LSAT service? Mm -hmm. um, there are some lessons on application stuff. So at the premium or live levels, you can go into the lessons tab and you can find some stuff about personal statements. And there, there are some helpful resources that are there. For live subscribers, I am reinventing our applications admissions offerings. If I have learned anything in the 15 years of trying to help people with admissions issues, it's that they spend way too much time and energy thinking about admissions issues. Yep. Uh, my mission is to help you get that shit done. So I am... Uh, creating a series of action-oriented live classes for LSAT Demon live subscribers. I am creating, I had a brainstorming session a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to announce uh, the next one here pretty soon. But it, it's going to be like, hey, here are the boxes that you need to tick off. Start ticking off boxes, because I just don't want you obsessing over some stupid little art addendum that you have to write or obsessing over, um, you know, I, just anything like it, it is true that you have to do all this stuff to apply. And mm -hmm. we're going to create a place where you can um, work on that stuff with other applicants. <clears throat> we're going to create some sessions where you can peer review each other's personal statements, that sort of thing. And we I will give you some of my advice and help along the way, but it ain't going to be like, let's take a month to look at your personal statement. No, it, because <laughs> you need to get back to the real important work, which is your your LSAT. I mean, that like that's the thing that you can really do something about. That's like when when we because <laughs> you think about what. Think about what the difference, Ben, like somebody who like just like finally crafts their best personal statement over the course of two and a half months. Meanwhile, somebody else improves their LSAT by 15 points. <laughs> uh, well, terrible. yeah, like the, the student who made the major LSAT improvement just laps the person who has the perfect personal statement. Yeah, I mean, I, the analogy I just keep coming back to, and I know it's probably annoying and boring, but I just think about trying out a team for, or trying, testing players for a basketball team. And it's like, you got some kid who shows up and he's dressed all nice. He's got the jersey right. And he's got his like resume and he's on time and he's looks earnest at the coach. And he's like, hey, here's, I'm ready for tryouts. 
And then some other kid shows up late and is just wearing his street clothes and he doesn't seem to <laughs> be really organized, but they get out on the court and they start playing. Yeah, he he, he grabs a ball, <laughs> walks out there and just casually dunks from the free throw line. It's like, yeah. oh, <laughs> OK. Okay. We'll him. Like, and yeah. uh, now you with your resume <laughs> again. Let's we'll look at that. <laughs> yeah, like it's he's not, already on the team. You're. It just, I'm not. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt you. I mean, that's nice. It shows respect for the whole process right. and the coach. And right. it's like it's a good thing. But at the end of the day, does anyone give a fuck? It's like right. we'll get. We'll go get that guy a jersey. Get that guy a fucking jersey. We'll get him on our team. Yeah. We'll get everything sorted out. Yeah, that's what matters. Focus on the things that matter. Now, our our theory, our thesis is that law school admissions offices and yeah. law school admissions consultants give lots of bad advice about law school admissions because yeah. their incentives are not aligned with yours. Their incentives are to get you to apply, to get you to use their overpriced services, to pat you on the head and condescend you and you know, take you through this long process because they think they can't do anything about your LSAT. And that's bullshit. We're going to get you to take the necessary steps to get your letters of recommendation requested, get your transcripts requested, get your personal statement done, get your resume done, get your addenda, whichever short addenda you're going to write, get those done and get you back to the important business of improving your LSAT as much as you possibly can. So it is included as part of the live uh, LSAT demon live, um, <laughs> but it is not a bunch of bullshit. It's going to be like, let's let's move you toward the finish line. Let's get this done so you can get back to what matters. Yes, exactly. All right. Number four, yep. not related to the demon. If I sign up for September, should I also sign up for October just in case? I've heard your advice, something along the lines of if you're ready for one, you should be ready for the next. I ask because I will not be able to study in the spring of 2023 because of work. What? Why? So I would ideally like to take it in the fall. But if I'm not ready by this fall, I will be pushing it back until I am ready. I I hate that idea. Cassandra seems to think that she has to study for the LSAT full time, which is wrong. Cassandra, all we really need is one high quality hour a day. Absolutely. I can't imagine that your job really forces you. Like, really? You can't you can't continue to chip away at it even while you're working. I, I, I don't you're not following our advice, Cassandra, if you're like, no, I'm going to go all at, all in on it now and I'm going to take it in September and then maybe October. And but then if I'm not if I don't get there, then I have to take six months off. Like That's not. Don't no. I don't like this plan. I want you, you to be in it for the long tests. haul. You have uh, lots of tests in the fall. There's August, September, October, November. <laughs> right. There's plenty of opportunities for you to get the score you your best score. Yeah, and especially, you know, you're already in the high 150s, getting into the low 170s in a few months. We would, you know, I think 50-50 probably, right? Like we would expect people half most, you know, like we're not going to be surprised at all if three months from now you're scoring 174. That's what I'm saying. Like hopefully you get it done. But mm -hmm. the, the answer is probably yes. Um, I, I encourage people, if you're signed up for September, to go ahead and sign up for October just so that you can really send yourself the concrete message 
that September is you're going to treat it just like it's just another practice test. Yep. I'm not going to be so like nervous about it. I'm not going to be trying to force myself into a one and done type of a situation. Instead, I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to do my best. And, you know, if it turns out great, then cool. I'm maybe I'm done and I'll withdraw from October. But if not, then, yeah, I'm already signed up for October. So cool. Let's do this. And um, yeah, I, I would plan on taking that whole series of tests in the fall. But don't take September and don't sign up for September. I mean, the deadline to sign up for September is not until July 26th. So you've got a full month plus before you need to even decide. Cassandra ends with, I appreciate your time and advice. If any of my grammar in the email was not up to par, I invite your critiques. Okay, I'll give you two easy ones. One, put your <laughs> periods inside of your quotation marks. You put it outside, which makes you British. Or, yeah, UK style. And don't capitalize seasons. They they don't they aren't capitalized. I think that carries over from like undergrad. People think that <laughs> the semester oh, spring and fall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they're actually not. So otherwise, yeah, I'm. I wasn't really focusing on that. <laughs> I would say, uh, Cassandra, read your sentences out loud and um, make them shorter. Listen to this sentence, Cassandra. This was from your first paragraph. I have listened to quite a few of your podcast episodes and find useful the advice you give in response to the emails you receive, comma, and would like some personal advice as well. That comment shouldn't be there for one thing, but you, you <laughs> that sentence is really wordy. I mean, you could say I like your advice, period. You exactly. would get that it's from the podcast. It's <laughs> yeah. from emails. <laughs> <laughs> right. Find useful the advice you give in response to the emails you receive is like, I think if you had read that out loud, Cassandra, you would be like, whoa, what am I doing here? I could cut all that. Is that just none of that needed to even be there? But, um, you know, that said, Cassandra, your email was better than most. And the only reason why we're taking the time to attack the grammar here is because you specifically asked for it, which is an extremely lawyerly thing to do. And uh, so, you know, this that is looking like um, I'm, I'm not believing her less. You know, I'm believing her more. Yeah, we, we started out, Cassandra, <laughs> taking you to town for using the word thinking. You're starting to provide the evidence that maybe this is maybe. This is a path that could work for you. Well, the 157 diagnostic and the willingness to work really hard, the willingness to listen to our advice, to listen to the willingness to solicit advice. I mean, she sounds like a good student. Mm -hmm. So she sounds yeah. like she it does sound like you're you know what you're getting yourself into or it does sound like you're actually suited for what you're getting yourself into. So uh, yeah. good job, Cassandra. Thank you. All yeah. right. You want to take this email from Dave? Yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm currently serving in the military on active duty and I'm look and am looking to transition to the civilian world in the fall of 2024. Dave, you lowercase fall. Good job. <laughs> I know that I want to pursue higher education, but I have been struggling to, to decide between law school and business school as a part of my transition plan. Dave, yeah. I'm a little worried. I, Red it, flags. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. These are two very different fields. It almost feels like you've just picked them because they're part of the, um, 
I want to say the Trinity, the Trinity of law, medicine, and MBA. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, I must be one of those. And it's well, like, it's like, I know for sure I want to waste time and money in higher education. So what do I want to waste the time and money on? And it's like, <laughs> no, dude, what? Like, I, yeah. I, you're putting the cart before the horse. Why are you now? My guess is GI Bill. Yep. I can scan his email and see GI Bill later. Yeah. So, you know, he he's GI Bill. He, he has the money to spend. Uncle Sam is going to foot the bill. But everybody, you know, has to pay in time. And I don't know you want to pay in time for this. I'm not saying he doesn't want to go to school. It's just like, yeah, when it's like, oh, JD on one hand and MBA on the other. <laughs> what? What do you want to do? Do you want to practice law? Because that's what a JD is for. Yep. Do you want to kind of think of what an MBA is for? I have well, it's kind of like you're like debating between playing tennis or swimming. It's like, <laughs> hmm, very different sports. Mm-hmm. I view both as pathways to jobs and careers that would allow me to provide a comfortable living for my family, even if I don't have a specific job in mind at the present. <sighs> okay. Um, yeah. You're basically going off the assumption that, hey, you can make a lot of money as a lawyer, which you can if you do very well at it, but you can't if you don't. And it's just not a great career path if you're not happy doing what you're doing. Becoming a lawyer has been an aspiration of mine for a long time, but I notice lawyers tell aspiring lawyers to do literally anything else. That's not an uncommon thing. I was talking about Lunch Club earlier. Yep. I met my first two Lunch Club meetings just by a random chance happened to be with litigators in New York City. Neither of them recommended people go into law. Neither of (laughs) neither of them thought it was a good idea. They were both successful practicing attorneys. They both were like, yeah. And that's if you succeed. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've been looking at doing a potential JD MBA partially due to my indecision. Okay. That, that is a huge red flag. People do this all the time to keep their doors open. But what you end up doing is closing many of them because you're just spread too thin. Yep. I'm studying for the LSAT and plan to study for the GRE once I have an LSAT score that is acceptable to my goals, 170 plus. My wife and I are both from Minnesota, and so moving home and attending the University of Minnesota, their law or business school seems like an ideal fit. However, I am not limiting myself to only that school and would plan to apply to a variety of schools, including those in the T14. Why don't you work for a couple of years and figure out what you want to do with your life? Absolutely. Like you're, you're worried about the whole application process. You need to be worried about the path that you're going on, not how to do that path. Do something you're passionate about. Follow like I, you know, the follow your heart, whatever advice. I, I don't know. I, why don't you just go try something that doesn't involve burning up all your GI bill money and three four years of your life. JD MBA is going to take four years and burn up all of your and more GI bill benefits. Why don't, why don't you just, why don't you go work in a law office for a little while? I'm, I'm stealing this idea from a, a book. I just, uh, read about (laughs) a couple weeks ago, but the person suggested imagining three life scenarios. 
I said three was the magic number because thinking of three got you thinking outside the box more than if you just think about one or two and not as overwhelming as like 10. But they said, think of three different lives you could live. You could live your life as an accountant. You could live your life as a, you know, a newscaster. <laughs> you could live your life as a, as a coder or something like that, or in this case, as a lawyer and try to imagine what your life would be like, and then go learn about those opportunities and see what is more interesting to you. But you got to get concrete. Like right now, it seems very vague. It's like, oh, lawyer. Yeah, that sounds good. Like, I think I could make money there or I could make money in business. Whatever job you said, whatever job I end up getting, you got to get more concrete and think about something that would actually motivate you. You're going to spend your life doing this. Don't Spend your life doing something that you don't know and that a lot of people say is painful. Yeah, like you can't find a lawyer who isn't telling you to do literally anything else. The, the fact that you Keep notice looking, lawyers telling you that means there's a there's some truth to this. <laughs> mm hmm. I don't know where else to keep going with this, but the opportunity cost for a joint degree program or a joint degree seems to vary. And comma, I know that most schools who offer a JD MBA make it a four-year program, but there are others like Penn offer a three-year program. Do either of you have a strong opinion on the pursuit of a JD MBA? Yes, don't do it. You should pick, if you're going to pick either of these two paths, and I don't think you should, but if you do, pick one or the other and kill it. Yeah, I think JD clearly trumps MBA. If you're going to practice law, you have to have a JD and an MBA is bullshit. Yep. So, you know, one of them is necessary and sufficient for sitting for the bar exam. Yep. One of them has nothing to do with it. So are you going to be a practicing attorney? If you're going to be a practicing attorney, then you need a JD. If you're not going to be a practicing attorney, then... You don't need a JD and it would be a complete waste of time and money. MBA is a completely different issue. MBA is like for people in my estimation, an MBA is for people who either want to pay a lot of money and time for like some fancy contacts, like rub, rub shoulders with kids of rich people. Or it's for people who already work, you know, at, uh, Ford Motor Company and you want to get promoted into their management training program. It, but like, unless you know that the MBA is going to get you a promotion, then I wouldn't. And I have both degrees, but I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't do either uh, unless I knew like if I had it to do all over again, I, I, I don't think I ever would have gotten either one because I don't use either one. I literally don't have a resume. I mean, I, I don't like these credentials. Who are they impressing? I don't practice law. I never took the bar. I don't need a JD. I, I, I work for myself. I don't have a boss. I, I'm not trying to get promoted. So I don't need an MBA. I don't think I learned anything in either of these programs that really helps with anything. <laughs> so, you know, I, be clear about what you want to do, Dave. Don't, don't just waste this opportunity. Yeah. You mentioned opportunity cost. You, you got to focus on what you're giving up by pursuing either one of these. 
Uh, Dave continues further. I love your don't pay for law school mantra. And I have another point for discussion for the scholarship estimator. When I go to school, I will have 100% of the GI Bill benefits. However, my wife is a registered nurse and a future plan of hers is to become a nurse nurse practitioner, which, re which requires additional education. The optimal way to accomplish these goals would be for me to score well enough on the LSAT or GRE to earn a full ride and transfer my GI Bill benefits to my wife. I have appreciated being able to use your scholarship estimator to assist in my goal setting. By the way, that's at lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. For what scores I will need to achieve this goal of going to law school for free. But my question is, what exactly qualifies as a URM for the estimator? Do you include military veterans in this category? I ask because many of my friends who have transferred from the military to law or business school have successfully leveraged their status as a veteran to get into schools they otherwise might not have been qualified for given their GPA. But let me say, before we address the URM issue, you can... <laughs> Go to law school for free and then transfer your GI Bill benefits to your wife, apparently. Or you could just not go to law school. And <laughs> transfer I, your GI Bill benefits to yeah. your wife. Like, yeah. you, I, you're committed to higher education, which, um, you know, study after study shows that people who, who pursue higher education generally have better outcomes financially. But I feel like that's beginning to change. <laughs> Well, it's also correlation, not causation. I mean, the type of people totally possible. who are yeah. who end up doing higher education are the type of people who are more likely to succeed, period. So, you know, <laughs> do you actually have to do the higher education? I yeah, think it's to get those questionable yeah. whether that's actually causally, you know, because people are going to push back on me, right? People are going to be like, but dude, you have a JD and you have an MBA and look, you're successful. And it's like, yeah, I know, but I don't think that those things like actually helped me to be successful. Yeah. It's that I had the whatever it was that put me in the position to do those things. And those things are like markers of success, but I don't think that they are what led to success. Not at yeah. all. Yeah. Well, if you're really smart too, you're just looking at the numbers, like what's it going to cost you in time and money, whether you get a scholarship or not to do this and what are you going to get out of it? And I, I'm seriously concerned about what you're going to do once you yeah. walk out that door. Let's answer Dave's question. Does military veteran qualify as URM for law school admissions? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't know. And no, what? I don't think. It, yeah. I don't think it would be in that. <laughs> it's not a minority report. there. It's, yeah. it's not like veteran status is super rare. You're not when they want they don't report that on their 509 report. I mean, the 509s report ethnicity, race and ethnicity. Are you a racial ethnic minority? If you're not a racial ethnic minority, then you are not URM for the purposes of law school admissions. At least that's I mean, I don't know that. But intuitively, I know that. OK, next one. Yeah, go for it. Hi, I had a question for Nathan and Ben. I scored a 158 on my last LSAT in January and got on the wait list for the University of Arizona, but didn't get into any of my other schools. I only applied to four. My plan has been to just study harder and retake the LSAT in August 
and apply again this fall for fall of 2023 in hopes of getting a scholarship somewhere. However, I want to become a prosecutor and don't have any interest in working for a big firm. And my friend's dad, who is a county prosecutor in my hometown, said that if you plan to just work for the government, then your school ranking doesn't matter as much. Originally, I only applied to schools that were ranked in the top 50, but I want to hear your thoughts. If I want to be a prosecutor, would it be okay to apply to schools ranked in the 100s? There is a school in both Idaho and Montana. Wait, there are schools in Idaho and Montana that are both still taking applications, but I didn't apply. Oh God, I didn't apply because of how poorly they were ranked. The fact that they're still taking applications in June for this fall, you know, means that those schools are bullshit. And you, this is, by the way, coming from um, Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. Please follow our advice. Please apply broadly at the beginning of the cycle with your very best LSAT. And go for free. And don't worry about the ranking. If you can go to the best school, go to the best school you can get into for free. Exactly. Go to the best school that you can get into for free, but you need to apply to more than four schools. You need to apply to 14 schools and you need to, this is, you know, boy, this to me, it just like, doesn't sound like a lawyer because it's like, it's the people who don't want to do the homework that I worry about. You know, the people who, who aren't they like, I want you to be on it. I want you to be extra super prepared. I want you to want to be extra super prepared. I don't want like when I hear people talking about like, well, could I just, you know, at the last minute, just do this thing. It's like, OK, but I like. <laughs> let's be honest. You know, half of the people who go to law school are not going to practice law. And when you do this, like slide in at the last minute thing, you know, it was already a 50-50 that you probably weren't going to practice law with your JD. But now it slides more toward now I'm like, well, yeah, I give you like a one in four shot of actually being a lawyer. Yep. It just doesn't sound like a lawyer because you're you're competing with people who are like way, way more sophisticated about this, way more prepared, harder working. Just they're more serious about this. I, I just I don't want you to casually. This is not something that you casually do. It's like casually doing UFC. It's like, well, it's see, it's worse. It's beat. worse. <laughs> yeah, that's one analogy. It's <laughs> it's worse than casually buying a house. For three hundred thousand dollars, because at least you have the asset in a house. Well, it also doesn't take three damn years of your life to buy a house. No, it, it doesn't cause alcoholism and, you're and depression and divorce <laughs> to buy a house. Necessarily. It could, you know, I mean, fuck, God damn. Like, yeah, I'm just worried, Nathan. I, I don't, the way you're talking about this makes me think that you haven't really drank the Kool-Aid. I, I want, I want you, I, I want you to go to law school for free more than anything else. And the way you're going to do that is the very best LSAT you can get. Apply early, apply broadly. And then, yeah, don't ask us if it's okay to. I've never been. Have you been a prosecutor? No. Okay. I have never been a prosecutor. I, what? You know, a prosecutor. The prosecutor said ranking doesn't matter as much. I would ask that prosecutor a follow up question. What do you mean as much? 
Like, could I go to literally this school in Idaho and then work in your office? Could I go to this school in Montana and then work in your office? Yeah. Yes. No, no problem. Great. (laughs) Yeah. If they're like, yeah, no problem, then cool. But you (laughs) this sliding in, you know, well, there's these two random schools in these two random places that are still taking applications at the last minute. And then I could be lazy and not continue to prep for the LSAT and not have to do 15 applications this September. And, you know, I could just like start law school this fall and not have to wait, you know, not have to prepare more to me it is. Hmm. I it just doesn't sound like lawyer shit. I want to jump right in the ring right now and get my ass kicked <laughs> instead of like, working out for a year before I get into this ring and get some training. And some yeah, get, that's what I mean. Get, get some <laughs> specific training about how not to die. Before so what are the rules jump. again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just knocked out immediately. <laughs> you're submitted, you know, you're just like choking to death. <laughs> you're still trying to figure out the rules. Uh, <laughs> Good luck, Nathan. Thank you for reaching out. That's a good first step. But boy, please be better prepared instead of just trying to sneak in. This is not a game for people who are going to sneak in. All right. You want to read this uh, email from Kevin? This is coming from our Kevin. Kevin on the LSAT Demon team. Okay. So Kevin writes, hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm sure you're always looking for something to talk about on the show. So here is an entertaining email, to say the least, that might work. Bold claim right off the bat. Yeah, we'll see how entertaining it is, Kevin. To say the least. (laughs) Hey, Kevin. (laughs) So there's more, apparently. Even though I'm applying next fall, I receive daily emails stating that this is my, quote, last chance to apply or, quote, time is running out. Oh, boy. No kidding. It's nearly June. These desperate law schools are very (laughs) eager to reject or offer zero dollars in aid to any poor sucker who will take the bait. I'll take my chances in September. Thank you very much. I contrast this with Nathan. I mean, this is what Nathan was just talking about. Yeah. You know, Nathan's going to apply to these bullshit schools in Idaho and Montana. Do you think they're even going to give him scholarship money? It's like, of course not. They're going to give him a $5,000 scholarship so he can feel good about his decision. But now he's just wasted all that money. No, this time is running out bullshit. Yeah, they're right. They're going to give you a scammership. They're going to give you 5000 on a $50,000 annual tuition and they're going to rip you off. So Kevin is mocking one of these emails down below that comes from Ohio Northern University Pettit College of Law. Uh, okay, he says, also, take a look at the postscript at the bottom of the email. Free feel, feel free to take the survey. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Kevin, let's see what they wrote. Dear Kevin... Whether you want to become a lawyer to fight for the underdog, make an impact on social issues, or develop case law that defines your generation. (laughs) Wow. This school has aspirations for its students. You can accomplish your goal at Ohio Northern University Pettit College of Law. No, you can't. (laughs) Come on. Really? Let me me finish the email. (laughs) Well, wait, hold on a second. (laughs) fight okay fight for the underdog sure i suppose anybody could fight for the like jd pass the bar you can fight you can fight for the underdog whether you're gonna win you know whether you're gonna do anything sure okay but then these other two make an impact on social issues 
Well, hold up. So make an impact. Impact is a very weak word. I mean, okay. Make an you, you impact. Help, you may, you help one well, soul and well, you've, you've impacted a or, social issue. Or yeah. be a patsy who makes an impact on social issues in the exact opposite way that you intended to make an impact. Sure. Like yeah. go into the ring fighting for justice just well enough to lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's possible. So maybe yeah. that's what they meant. Oh, sure. But then how about this next one? This is this is where the cake is, is just like, what? Develop case law that defines your generation. OK, so you're going to you're going to pass the next Roe versus Wade. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to you're going to argue that case and make it law. I mean, that's uh, that's just like totally fictional. I mean, may, maybe there's one lawyer in the history of this school who did that. It's possible. But I would, you know, if you were considering going to the school, I would say, okay, can I talk to alums who have made an imp, who have developed case law that defined the generation? I'm sure. Just, I'm happy to talk to just one. That's totally fine with me. Sure. Uh, so you mean like on the Supreme, I mean, you could lead them down the path too, right? You could be like, oh, so you mean like argue in front of the Supreme court? I could do that. Yeah. 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 yeah of course you can. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, give me their number. <laughs> I just won. All I want's one. I just I want to talk to a Supreme Court litigator. Oh sure, I mean, that's what you just we'll told We'll get me. back to you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, I'll, we'll be in touch. <laughs> I gotta look that up. They are very busy, I'm sure. Anyways, this email continues. Your time at ONU Law will be filled with incredible opportunities to build experience with lurk with working legal professionals. These include taking cases classes. I'm sorry, taking classes from expert faculty to participating in our many law clinics and externships. We guarantee that you receive the high impact training that it, wait, why, why can't I read this? We guarantee that you receive the high impact training it takes to become a successful attorney. I think I was thrown off because this sentence switched tense. <laughs> we guarantee that you will receive. Oh, it, it already had a bad, that the first sentence was bad. The first, the first, look how many words were in that first sentence. And it had like, it had two commas, but then it had an or in the middle clause. And it's just like, Ugh. It, it, but it was also weather. We, isn't weather usually 50, like one or the other? Yeah. One or the other, right? And it's, whether you it weather, do this and or it's that. three things. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, you're, <laughs> you, hey, they're not like, they're trying to lie to you. But they're they're not even doing a good job of it. Like they're just it's just obvious that this is not the highfalutin shit that it claims to be. I mean, it's I mean, it's clear this school, by the way, is ranked 167th in the country. Um, I'm looking at their 509 report right now. Their 50th percentile LSAT is 150. So like they admit below average candidates. It's just, you know, 150. That's below the actual average of people who take the test. That's crazy. And that's their median. So Jeez. the median student at this school is a below average candidate for law school. They admit, by the way, 50% of the people or 47% of the people who apply. It, it's like this is an extremely easy school to get into. It is not a prestigious school by any sense, in any sense of the word. It will qualify you, I'm sure, to sit the Ohio bar exam and I'm sure that there are people who went to this school and became 
successful practicing attorneys. I'm not saying that it's that that you can't like become a an actual lawyer, but they try to sell you this dream of doing all this like real fancy shit, and it it's a lie. That ain't the type of shit that happens at this school. When you submit your application, you will receive the following advantages. Then we got bullet points here. No application fee. Holistic review process. <laughs> Automatic scholarship consideration. An admissions decision in two weeks. Let our decades of experience help you gain a rewarding career in law. Apply to ONU Law today. You can also select a future enrollment term if now is not a good time. Sincerely, Haley. Okay. I, I thought that this was a last chance act now, but then they're telling you that you maybe that's just what Kevin said. I'm not actually seeing any last chance. Yeah. Apply now in this. And in fact, they're telling you you can just apply now for any enrollment term. We'll take you anytime because <laughs> of course they will. <laughs> we got lots of empty seats. P.S. When you take our brief survey, we can help you find the right law school for you and your career. Your answers will help us better understand your goals so we can connect you with the information and resources most useful to you. By the way, <laughs> Ohio Northern University will always be recommended. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Uh, yeah, you have to put in your personal information on the first step of that. I'm not I don't want them spamming me, so I'm not going to do that. But oh. I would imagine that they do recommend other law schools that are probably within their, you know, this might be one of those schools that is like part of a family of eight oh, different for-profit. Yeah. I don't know that. I'm totally speculating, but my guess is that they're going to recommend other law schools that are in their consortium of, uh, of schools. I mean, it's all just bullshit. They're, they're all the same. They're, you know, do you want to practice in Ohio? Okay. Well then we might work for you. If yeah. you're not going to practice in Ohio, then this school is not the one you want. Anyway, next one. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. This is from Jonathan. Hey, uh, Ben and Nathan, would you guys consider going over your law school experiences in an extended, unfiltered presentation? Perhaps an episode on thinking LSAT, an hour long class or a series? I recently watched a writing sample lesson where Nathan said one of the few A's I got was using this pros and cons for blocker. And it made me think, how can this smart dude not get all A's? I wonder what parts of law school sucked for him. You both drop nuggets of wisdom here and there about your personal experiences that are revealing and often hilarious. It would be beneficial to have a collection of those nuggets for future law school students to consider. By the way, I started with LSAT Demon in late February 2022 with a baseline of 152, and I'm scoring near my goal of 169. I just scored a 172, and it felt amazing. Thank you for designing an effective method of studying and improving on the LSAT best. Jonathan, 20 point improvement, Ben, with LSAT Demon. Sweet. That is awesome. Not surprising. Not surprising at all. I mean, you, people start at 152. I'm like, cool. Let's get you to the 170s. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Why is your goal only 169, Jonathan? That's so, uh, so specific. <laughs> like, oh, that shouldn't specific. be your goal. Right below. Like, what is this? like, it sounds like a 999 for this. Your goal should be as high as you sunglasses. can possibly get. Open all the doors you can open 
with your LSAT. And yeah, you're you're selling yourself short with 169. Okay, law school for me was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. I don't have enough to say about it to do an extended presentation. I found it excruciatingly boring. I found it extremely frustrating. I thought that it was going to be scientific and it wasn't. It was pseudoscientific. It was dogmatic. It was, I don't care whether this makes sense. You need to memorize. Here's here's all of this convoluted, you know, justifications for what they've done in constitutional law, for example, over the years. And you don't need to understand it. You just need to memorize it. And it's, you know, the the message I got was it's not about justice. It's about money and politics and power. And I just didn't I didn't find it interesting. I found it boring and not I, I don't recommend it for me. But I'm a bad student. Like I was a bad student to begin with. I got bad grades in undergrad. Then I didn't get good grades in law school. Shocker. I mean, how's that a surprise? I don't like sitting in classes, having people lecture at me. I don't like being told to read a bunch of boring shit that I don't want to read. I don't like writing essays about nonsense. So I hated law school. As far as what, how can I not get all A's? Because law school is fucking hard, dude. Like, I mean, I tried kind of in my 1L year. And I did pretty well. I got like a couple A's my first semester and maybe one A the second semester. And I think I was like 38 of maybe maybe top 25 percent of my class in my first semester at Hastings, which is not that great of a law school. But it was plenty of competition for me because I'm just not that good of a student. I got all the horsepower. I got none of the willpower. And I was not willing to fight that fight with not with those fucking killers. Now, not everybody at Hastings is a killer. And maybe there were like 50 percent of the people there where I would be like, oh, yeah, if I tried, you would have no way of competing with me. But the other 50 percent of the class, even if I tried, they would be able to compete with me, especially because they have way more work ethic than I do. And there were some really, really, really smart people there. And so it's just I I don't know. People don't understand how hard law school is. They don't understand what the level of competition is once they get there. I found it excruciatingly boring and excruciatingly high stress. I don't recommend it, (laughs) but that's like all I have to say about it. What do you do you want to say anything about it? Sure. Yeah. Well, so I went from uh, a math heavy undergrad program, econ program law school. And I remember for the first part of law school, I kept trying to figure out what the truth was. That's a weird word, but like figure out like in econ, people are debating what is in fact happening in the economy or, you know, with whatever it is that they're focusing on. And you have different models and theories and you can disagree about whether or not they accurately reflect reality. But the underlying assumption of economists is trying to figure out what's actually happening and represent that in some sort of model. Yeah, right? Math and science are like a search for truth, a search for truth. And mm-hmm. I approached law school in the same way. I mm-hmm. naively foolishly thought that the point of all this discussion was to figure out what the law actually is or should be 
on some level. It's kind of a stupid idea in retrospect, but I, I thought that's what we were doing. I thought we were reading this case law to determine what in fact the law was or how, you know, what it, what it really is. And I had that same realization. I remember I was in my wills and trusts and estates class and I was like, this isn't about what is true. It's about what you can argue. Yeah. And if it's, you ever get decided, in a legal mess, right. get a fucking attorney and lawyer up. Don't talk. Yeah. You shut up. You have no. And like, that's what we would do. Boy, if I was ever in a legal anything, I would be like attorney, lawyer. Bye. Thanks. Yep. Lawyer. I don't I'm not saying anything besides lawyer. Like, give me yep. a lawyer. <laughs> I am not a lawyer and I don't know what to say. So I'm not saying shit. Give me yep. a lawyer. That's it. And yeah, it, it, it's because it's like because the truth is and they can't acknowledge it, but it it's 100 percent outcome driven. And it's here's what I wanted the outcome to be. Here's what the case law or the statutes actually said. And I'm going to make a real convoluted argument to get to the outcome I want, even though it makes no sense. And then 200 years of that. And that's how you get, you know, Roe versus Wade and all of our constitutional law. Yep. And it's just like none of it makes any sense. I mean, none of it is real. I, I had <laughs> people I like people would ask in class. I, I was sitting there in a con law class and someone raised their hand and literally said, is any of this real? And the con law professor laughed and said, well, because I'm a professor of constitutional law, I guess I kind of have to answer. But it, it was clear that they that, that it was clear that the answer was no. The clear it's clear that the answer is no. We are studying fiction. Yeah, we're, we're studying when they say thinking like a lawyer. What they're really saying is we're going to train you to argue and win. Yeah. Not to find the truth right. and expose it, <laughs> right. we're going to learn how to argue and win. And, you know, I, I had that realization in my Wills, Trusts, and Estates class, but where it really hit home and where I became really cynical, because I, I still held on to this naive, like, youthful idea that we were, like, in the pursuit of exposing or understanding the world better. Um, I was taking trial adv advocacy. and we were going over different techniques for cross-examination and basically the teacher was explaining to us how we get someone to appear to be lying. They didn't say it like that. Right. They, they're presenting it. It was, it, for example, if you, if you want, if you want the jury to draw a certain conclusion, if you want the jury to draw a certain conclusion, but that conclusion is actually not true. It's false. You don't ask the person on the stand that question. You ask them the questions that lead to that conclusion, and then you stop your questioning. Because if you continued questioning, then the actual truth would come out and it would undermine your whole like buildup. Like that class was all about how, again, like you're saying, outcome driven. How do you get the the decision you want. Yeah. Not what actually happened in this case and let's execute yeah. justice or this term that we right. always talk about. Right. Well, they always fucking talk about justice. The law schools themselves are like, yeah. they just, 
they they lead you down this path of making you think that you're going to be fighting for justice and that it's about what's good. It's about what's right. Mm -hmm. And no, it's not. It's about winning. It's about money. It's about power politics. It's about winning. And if you if you are okay with that, then this is absolutely what you should do. But you just you have to be like, I think to be successful, it's best to be just sort of morally ambivalent. It's like, no, I don't. I'm this is a game. I'm trying to win. I want to win. That's what I would want. Right. Like if you're going to hire a lawyer, I don't want a lawyer who's like, you're right. This is not fair for you. We're going to get the outcome. We're going to get what you deserve. I don't mm -hmm. want to hear that bullshit. I want to mm -hmm. hear, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, we can win this case. Wait, like, so what's, what's the I'm outcome you want? Yeah, I understand what you want. Can um, we okay. get from these facts to this outcome? That's, yep. what, that's what it is. It ain't about what it should be. It's about can we do it? Mm -hmm. we're, I found we're it very distasteful. <laughs> I hated it. Yeah. I couldn't stand it. I wanted we're, it to be about justice. It was not. I don't think either of us are saying that they're, that all attorneys are are bad or lying or whatever. It's just that there is this underlying assumption, at least in my experience in law school, that it, it's almost because it's an assumption as opposed to something that's made explicit, it's easier for everyone to swallow. It's like, we're not talking about this explicitly. We're just moving forward, operating as if it's a given that the goal here is to win this argument. And no one ever unpacks like, well, wait, should we be trying to win the argument or trying to figure out what's actually true? That it makes it easier for people not to have to grapple with it. They don't even have to grapple with it because they're not even confronted with it. It's just assumed. And then people progress forward with that assumption. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know if that's what you wanted, Jonathan, but um, that's what you're going to get. That's what I took away from my experience. All right. Uh, last email from Alec. You got it? Yeah. Hello. I have a question regarding letters of recommendation. I plan to apply as early as possible this upcoming cycle, either September 1st or 15th, depending on the school. Of course, I want to make sure that I have my letters of recommendation well before those dates. However, the professor who I believe, who I believe would be an ideal recommender told me that the earliest she could meet to discuss such a letter would be early September. She is spending the summer writing a book. This warning gave me pause as it means I would... I likely would not receive her finished letter until late September. I really want to use this professor as a recommender because she can speak to my specific interest in election law, hopefully strengthening the narrative that I craft in my personal statement. Yet I am hesitant because of the possibility of delaying my application. What do you think? Go with this professor who I am confident would write a solid recommendation or try to find another who would definitely finish before September. Definitely. Don't worry about any of this. Get your application in on time. That's something that matters. Letters of recommendation don't matter. Yeah, that, I agree. Like you need to apply broadly. You need to apply in September. Uh, you know, I would I would also add that this professor did not respond enthusiastically to your request for a letter of recommendation. She came up with an excuse to delay. That's yeah. not a good sign. That's no. not someone who's like, yeah, I want to write you a letter. Because really, how hard is it to sit down and write a letter if it you're writing a book? It takes 15 minutes. Yep. The, the, she, has, she has a template on her computer that she uses for this. She, she, she has written dozens of these. 
you know, unless she thinks that she needs to write you some real fancy pants something, which, you know, in which case that's a shame because she really does want to do a great job for you. <laughs> and it's like ironic because I don't want you to do a great job for me. I just want you to do it. Just do it and get it done so I can apply on time because that's going to matter way more than some letter. Your specific interest in election law, who gives a shit? I mean, that's like, that's just, the t- that's, that's important to you, Alec. And that might be a, a, a real sensible reason. I don't know. Might be a real sensible reason for you to go to law school. I don't think the law schools care. They go out of their way to say that most people change their mind about what they want to do once they go to law school. And I don't think that your specific interest in election law is going to be necessarily that interesting to them. I think that they, you know, like, boy, hey, Ben, if you're a law school, what specific area of interest gets you excited in an applicant? When an applicant when an applicant comes to you, what do you really want them to be interested in? I don't think they care about that. I do. Anyone? Okay. Corporate law. Big law, money. Yeah, fuck sure. yeah. I think yeah. that they like they can say all they want about justice and whatever, but the truth is that this whole enterprise, this whole giant law, writ really large law, mm-hmm. is sponsored by the rich, and it, it's 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 all about big law. Like big law is the reason why this whole thing exists, and you, they, the prestige of their school really is impacted by, I mean, the vast majority of schools, right? I'm not talking about Yale anymore. I'm talking about normal law schools. Their prestige comes from how many people they put into big law. Wait, wait, wait. That's actually still true for Yale. <laughs> and and also for Yale. Okay, fine. It's not like it's not like Yale doesn't have a, a huge number of partners <laughs> who make millions of dollars every year at you, big I name mean, firms. Uh, the majority of their grads every single year, I'm sure, go straight into big law. Yeah. So that's a part of their reputation, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) but they are the one, they're the rare school that has the luxury of not being about, of not being all about big law. Fully dependent on them because they have other avenues, but they're still (laughs) largely dependent. Yeah. If you're a normal law school, right? A run of the mill, a mediocre regional law school. And I love using my alma mater, UC Hastings, as the example of a run of the mill regional law school. If you, if you're Hastings, they would go out of business if it weren't for people going to Hastings and then eventually getting big law jobs. You know, their their big law placement is probably only 40 percent or whatever, but they they'd be excited about they, they, they'd be like, wow, this person is going to kill it. They're going to go make a lot of money. We're going to be able to spam them from the Alumni Association, asking them for money for the rest of their lives. We could get them to potentially be a donor back to the school. That's the one we want. You know, and so whatever. I mean, Alec, I'm not don't let I'm not trying to like crush your ideas about actually practicing election law. I'm just saying that this narrative that you're worried about crafting. I think the law schools are much more interested in your LSAT and your GPA and whether you're a killer or not. This story doesn't matter. Yep. Good luck. (laughs) Hey, uh. You have questions for us, email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. We'll try to be um, as honest as we always are. Hope you can withstand the scrutiny. If you have questions about LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. 
You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 354 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't, please, God, don't pay for law school. That's the rule. Don't forget it. <laughs>